I want to start this evening really by asking um, a question. The question is, why do we gather around God's Word? Because sometimes, what did you do on Wednesday nights? Went to a Bible study. Oh. Now, is this an academic thing to people, or is it more than that? Well, why do we do it? And why is it important? Well, the Bible, it's good to let the Bible speak. And the Bible answers those questions. I'm going to share a verse from the Old Testament and a verse from the New Testament. Psalm 119, one of the Psalms in the Bible. It's verse 105 through to 106. And this is what it says about God's Word, and this is what makes it so important. Your Word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. I've taken a note and confirmed, confirmed it, that I will follow your righteous laws. So you think, well, that's Old Testament, yeah, but it still applies to us as Christians, because God's Word is still a lamp to our feet, it is still a guide, it is still a light to our path. And that little bit confirmed enough, it means that when you accept Jesus as your Saviour, you have made a confirmation <coughs> to live as God wants you to live, live according to God's Word. So we need to learn what we know and then apply it, and it's beneficial. That's why we gather around God's Word. Okay. Hebrews in the New Testament, Hebrews 13, verse 7 to 8. Remember your leaders. Now, think of that. That is a really good piece of advice for us as Christians. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Could be somebody who introduced you to the gospel. It could be a commentator who you read in, in, in your Bible, those who open up the scriptures for us. It could even be when you go back in the history of the church and remember those uh, pilgrims who went before us, those who gave their lives at the stake so that we could have the freedom in this land. And then you go right the way back to the characters we have in both the Old and the New Testament. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. So there's two good biblical reasons why we gather around God's Word and we share this time together. Now chapters 1 to 15 in Malachi. Malachi speaks God's words and the priests question God's words. God says, I've loved you, says the Lord. And they say, have you loved us? Well, God shows them how he loves them. And his people, in response to this, continue to show their contempt for God and for his word. Now, that word, contempt, you know, I always like to go to the dictionary. You know, we understand these words and we understand the language. But sometimes when you read the dictionary definition, it brings it home to us. And contempt is the feeling that a person, uh, the feeling that a person or a thing is worthless or beneath consideration. So to think of God as being worthless or being beneath beneath consideration, that is that, that is contempt for God. Now these people that we're reading about in their present state, the people had forgotten what the Lord had done in the past for their nation. In other words, their ancestors, their history. And they no longer acknowledge what God was doing and is doing 
the belly and the presence. Now we've seen this as we entered into this week of Malachi. So a phrase that we often come across today when reference Christianity, it is that Christianity is being marginalized. We hear that a lot, especially when it's referred to Christianity here in our nation. Christianity is being marginalized. So marginalized is another word. <laughs> what does that mean? It means to treat as insignificance or peripheral. Things that we push to one side as being unacceptable to our way of living. Now we get that. It, it's a little bit like, you know, when you give a child their dinner and the vegetables. They don't see the importance of them. They don't see the significance of them. What do they do? They push them to one side. I don't want them. Why? Because I don't. Why? Because I don't like them. In other words, they don't agree with me. They're good for them. And they would agree with them and they really need them. But what are they doing? They're marginalising their meal. They're looking at it. I'll have that bit. That'll stay on the plate. This bit, I don't want. So I'll push it to the edge. And when it gets to the edge, I'll hope it will fall off the plate. This is how the people in the days of Malachi are treating God. They have pushed him to one side. They still, they still recognize, they still use the name God, and still aware of God, but they push him to one side. You can always see the parallels with the days in which we live when you come to God's Word. So we can think about that as we go through this. Now, it was of great importance that God remained present in their lives. And that importance went beyond them. It went beyond their way of life. So what we've got here, we've got um, to appreciate who these people are, that Malachi is speaking to, they are God's people. And so, um, they have, we're just talking about the fact we're in Malachi chapter 1 and verse 16 to 14, and we're talking about the fact that what is happening here is the people, they are actually uh, um, showing contempt for God. They don't see the importance of who he is, although they know something about him, probably quite a lot about him. Uh, and also, we're looking at um, the fact that they are also um, marginalizing their faith. In other words, they're picking the bits that they want and the bits that they don't like because it doesn't fit in with their lifestyles, they push to one side. And we just said that it was of great importance that God remains present in the lives of these people. And we're going to think about that for a few moments. You see, the Lord prepared their forefathers. And that was before they entered the promised land. And this was so that future generations, and it's the future generations that's being spoken about here, are the people they were looking at in the days of Malachi. And that was so that these people would be ready to receive Jesus as their Messiah. Why? Because through him, all the nations will be blessed. Now remember, this is the last group in the Old Testament. And these people are sort of on the edge of the Messiah coming. And they're not ready for him. 
but they need to be ready for him. That's why, way back when God's people, the Israelites, first entered the promised land, God spoke to them through Moses. And I'm going to just read some verses from Deuteronomy. Now, it's Deuteronomy chapter 4. You can turn to it if you want to, but that's the reference if you need to. I'll read the verses that I want us to think about this evening. And this is the first bit, verse 1 and 2. And this is God speaking to the people before they go into the promised land. The, the forefathers of these people who are living in the days of Malachi. Now, Israel, hear the decrees and the laws that I am about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. Do not add to what I command you, and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. Now, after reading that in the Old Testament, does that trigger anything in the New Testament? It's virtually the same thing being said to us as Christians. And this is um, in Revelation. Uh, sorry. Uh, where am I now? Yeah. This is in Revelation. And it's Revelation chapter 22. Right to the end of the book of Revelation, we've studied Revelation together. Now, remember what was just said in, in the book of Deuteronomy. Same thing that's said in Revelation. Do not add or take away anything from God's word. That is the importance of God's word. So the Old Testament people are being told, listen, you're hearing God's word, and what you hear, do not take anything away from it, and do not add anything to it. Now, when we come to the New Testament, we are given the same instruction as we read the Bible. Now, that applies to when we read the Old Testament, and when we read the New Testament, and right at the end of the New Testament, we have the same words to us, after you've read it, when you've read this, right, don't add anything to it, don't take anything away. Now, it doesn't mean you can't translate it into another language so that people can understand it. It doesn't mean you can't say it in a more uh, explained way. But what it means is you do not change it. You do not change it. Because it's God's word. Now, for these people, for them, it was do not compromise God's law. Yeah, the law that was given to Moses, the law that they had been living by and were supposed to be still living by in the days of Malachi. It wouldn't change till Jesus came. And so for us, it's do not compromise the gospel. Do not compromise the good news. Don't make it something that it isn't. And a lot of people do that. A lot of religious people do that. And we've got warnings here about doing that. So let's just go back to Deuteronomy chapter 4. I'm just going to read again verse 3 and 4. I want you to think about these words and sort of bring them over to us today as we look through the book of Malachi. So, you saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor. The Lord your God destroyed from among you, you, everyone who followed Baal Peor, but all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. So this was instructions given to them while they were still alive for them to apply in their lives. So this is a testimony. These people were there. And God's saying, you were there, you've seen it. Right? You've seen how I work, you've seen what I do, you know who I am. And this is 
a true testimony of God's love and protection. He loved those people. He's still loving those people in the days of Malachi. He still loves us in our day. And he's still there to love and protect us. Deuteronomy 5, when we read uh, verse chapter 4, when we read verse 5 and 8. See how I have see how I have taught you degrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded you. So this is Moses speaking on behalf of God, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully. For this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these degrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of yours that I am setting before you today. Now, if you absorb that and you think about that, the same thing is being said to us, but in a slightly different way, because we're in a different age. And we know, we have the Messiah. These people haven't received the Messiah yet. So for us, what are we to do with these words? Well, we are to go into all the world, preach these words, teach these words and live by these words that's what the people were being told to do they were being told to take the word of god to tell it to others to teach it and also to live by it same thing same god deuteronomy 9 through to 14. now listen to these and i think it's good that we go back and look at these passages to understand what these people in the days of Malachi knew about God but had pushed to one side because they didn't see the significance. So there's a lesson for us in our day that we don't fall into that trap. So Deuteronomy 4 verse 9 to 14. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, when he said to me, assemble the people before me and hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near, get this, you stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens, with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. He heard the sound of words. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice, and he declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow, and then wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and the laws you are to follow in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. We're on a journey. We're on a journey. We're on a journey. We're crossing over. We're crossing to our heavenly home. So we are on a journey. So these words, in a slightly different way, but are still relevant to us today. 
Yes, these, these are God's words to a people who live in a different time, in a different place, in a different situation. But the one who's speaking is the same God who speaks to his people today, you and I. It's the same message. It's the same God. And to us who live on what we could call this side of the cross, he's saying, I love you, God so loved the world. I love you, so trust me. That's why he's saying to these people. That's what uh, Malachi just said. God loves you. How does he love us? How many people said that? Look at the circumstances we're in. Look at the situation in our life. How are you loving me, God? But it's deeper than just him. Showing that love by giving everything that we want or taking away the, the aches and pains. It's deeper than that. It's the love that sent his son to the cross. The love that saves us. So for us, now remember I said they came to Horeb's top of the mountain. They heard God speak. Did Jesus speak from the cross? Yes. They saw the greatness of God. Did we see the greatness of God? Yes, because he rose again from the dead. You see, these things are still there. So for those who figuratively speaking have stood at the foot of the cross where God's glory was displayed to us in the death and resurrection of Jesus. What's he saying through that? He's saying, love me as I have loved you. There's God loving us. And he's saying to us, love me. Don't just love me. Love me as I have loved you. See the importance of what's being said here? And then he's saying, live as I have shown you how to live. Why? So that others might see that God, who loves us, also loves them. That's what he was saying to God's people. That's what these people in the days of Malachi were supposed to be doing, but they weren't doing. God was loving them. They weren't loving God. And the nations saw that they weren't loving God. And so they were failing in what they should have been doing. They might see that God loves them. But they're not availing themselves of that love because they're too busy, too busy saying to God, well, yeah, but I want to go on with my life. I want to do it my way, you know. And they're not teaching their children. And why are they not teaching their children? Because their fathers haven't taught them. And maybe because their grandfathers haven't. They taught them all of the, the, the peripheral things they probably could quote the scriptures. They knew about God. They knew who God was. They knew the names of God. But they pushed it all to one side. Because it suited them better. Matthew 22, verse 37 and 38. Jesus replied, this is the word of Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbour as yourself. And this is the bit. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. God's word to those people hang on those two commands as they do for us today. And Jesus confirmed that. That's why he said, 
he confirmed it that it was the same for the prophets and he says and the same is for you and that's an important bit in that verse all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands and when Jesus spoke those words to that young man he basically said now you go and do it you go and do it Deuteronomy 4 verse 15 through to 31 I'm not going to read that what I, I'd like you to do is when you get time read through Deuteronomy chapter 4 and, and see how it relates to them and then reflect on how it relates to us in our day okay in fact read the whole of Deuteronomy in fact read the whole of the Old Testament <laughs> just just read that uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4 because when you come to the end knowing that they would fail him yeah because God is warning them he said you're gonna fail me you're gonna fail me and they're failing him as they have done right the way through but he was always welcoming them back but welcome welcoming them back their failure he loved them and he wanted them to repent so he would accept them again and knowing that they would fail him the lord confirms his love for them by keeping his promise he warns them because he loves them why do you warn your children to look left and right before they cross the road you know and they get there well all right you know but they're being told what to do because whoever told them loves them and wants that love to protect them you get that and the children don't always respond to that when they cross the road do they well we're just like those children in many cases for us to fail and we do fail many times if we've accepted jesus as our savior god still loves us never think that god doesn't love you if you've taken jesus as your savior god loves you and you will fail because you will fail but then he'll welcome you back you won't lose your salvation but he will welcome you back hebrews 3 verse 5 keep your lives free from the love of money the love of money people think oh you know it's not just money that's that's meaning worldly things money is tied into everything isn't it you know people say it's all about money <laughs> listen to the news uh, listen to what's going on what people are doing and you say bottom line is money bottom line is money things that you want things that that, that you know are taking you away from god so keep your lives free from the love of money nothing wrong with money it's the love of money the love of worldly things there's nothing wrong with having a big fancy car but it's the love of the fancy car that's where it's wrong the fancy car is okay the big house is okay yeah. but it's the love of it that takes you away from god and be content with what you have because god has said never will i leave you or forsake you yeah good words there let's move on malachi uh, verse 6 and the Lord continues to speak through Malachi so this is what he says a son honors father and a slave his master if I am a father where is the honor due to me if I am a master where is the respect due to me says the Lord Almighty it is you priests who show contempt for my name but you ask have we shown contempt 
feel name two rhetorical questions here from the door where is my honour where is my respect he doesn't expect them to give an answer he's just saying this is a true saying <coughs> okay where's my honour where's my respect the Lord is speaking to the people who he calls his children okay get the relationship father those who he has chosen from the nation to be his servants this is a bit of an explanation of that the ones who are set aside to serve him serve him in his promise and this is a reminder to them who the Lord is and who they are He's using that illustration of a father and a servant and the relationship that should or what he should have as a relationship from them. The illustration of the father and son and master and servant, this is the covenant relationship that God has with Israel. God, the father. They are serving him. And their service was to prepare the way for the Messiah, for you and I. If they are to honour their earthly father, how much more important is it that they should honour their heavenly father? This is what God is saying here to them. You know, you honour your father, you honour your earth, you, you obey that command. But it's far more important that you honour your heavenly father and that's not what they're doing the Lord says where's the respect that's due to me and you shall only contempt for my name and the priest said well we show contempt for your name that's the way they were saying well have we shown contempt for your name in other words we haven't well Mordecai goes on. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. He's saying that without actually saying it in those words. You see, we need to understand that to take God's name in vain, it's always seen as being more of a, an expletive, you know, a, a, more of a swear word or a mug. But it's more than that, it's deeper than that. It extends to misusing it in the form of false worship now we need to think about that you know taking the name of the lord in vain extends to how we come before him and how we worship him are we worshiping who he really is or are we worshiping who we want him to be and if you're doing that you're taking god's name in vain form of false worship and this is what in the days of Malachi the people were doing to put it bluntly they were going through the motions coming to the right place supposedly doing the wrong thing the right things but doing them without any real meaning <clears throat> they were just going through the motions bringing blemished animals to the priests okay that's that's not right 
And then, what's even worse, the priest accepted them. And what's even worse is they then offered them as sacrifices to God. What were they doing? They were demonstrating contempt for God's name and polluting the altar of God. Get that. That's what they were doing. It was the people who were coming and, and they bring these animals that they don't really want. That'll be alright. And the priest says, yeah, okay. Because it'll be alright for them because the priest got a share of that. And then they were offering them to God. The Lord here is speaking to the priests. He says, it's you priests. Okay. Let's have a look at some of our so-called Christian religious leaders. Let's see what they're doing. Let's see what they're teaching. Let's see how far away they're moving. I don't like that bit on the plate. You know, this bit of food, I like that. But those vegetables, I'm going to push them to one side. They were good for The priests are the ones who were to honour God. They were the ones to respect his name and they were to teach the people to do likewise on both a religious platform and also on an ethical platform how to approach God and how to live in this world. Together. You know, these are important things. Before we look at it, let's just ask the question, what's in the name? Just think about that for a few moments. Well, a name identifies a person. Okay, Yahweh, or as we say, Jehovah, is the name of God. And these people would not even write the word <coughs> Yahweh because they didn't want to offend God. Okay? But these people are looking at that name and they're not seeing that name what it really is. That's a name that, res re that demands respect. And dignity. What's in a name? God's name demands respect and dignity. Secondly, a name identifies a person's character. You see that, don't you? We give them a name sometimes, which is applicable to their character or their life, you know. But notice the name that God uses here when He's speaking to them. Have you seen what it is? I'll tell you. But if you look in the passage we read together, the Lord Almighty. You see, this is a military term. And this is the one who needs to be obeyed, who should be obeyed, and is not being obeyed. You get that? The Lord Almighty. And thirdly, an name identifies a person's reputation. How are we told to pray? How are we told to approach God? Hallowed be thy name. Holy is his name. These are just some of the names of God. Exodus 34, I'm going to read verse 6 and 7. Then the Lord came down. This is one Moses said, show me, Lord, I want to see you. Of course, he couldn't see him, but he, God did demonstrate to him. And this is what happened. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name. Yeah, well, this is his name. The Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, 
abounding in love and faithfulness. That's God. That's how God presented himself to Moses when Moses said, let me see you, Lord. Let me see your face. He said, no, you can't see my face. But I'll, I'll pass by you and I'll introduce myself. And how did he do that? The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, gracious God sought to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This is about respect for God. It's about being obedient to God's word. And this is what these people are not doing and they should have been doing. Let's just go a simple illustration here. It's not really a, a good illustration, but it might help us understand it. You know, every day back, you know, like I'm driving along. I see an old parking sign. What do we do? I deliberately park the car next to it. And by doing this, what am I doing? Okay. I'm looking after myself, but I'm showing contempt and lack of respect for the law. Right? Those in authority are telling me that this is not where they want me to park. Might be for my own benefit. Might be a danger to the people. It might be the building I parked next to is about to be knocked down and, and me car will get wrecked. In my own mind, I can justify this. I'll ignore the authorities. I'll park my car where I want to park it and I'll park it how I want to park it. And in my own mind, I can justify my actions. Why have I parked there? Well, I have less distance to walk to where I want to be. And when I walk back, I know I'll have two heavy shopping bags. And to walk back that short distance will be a lot better for me. It'll take less effort for me. This will more, be more convenient, save me time, it'll make my busy life a little easier, but the bottom line is that I've blatantly ignored authority, I've shown no respect as I've demonstrated a contemptuous attitude that is one of ignorance and arrogance. Ignoring the truth and replacing it with presumptions that I feel will be of benefit to me. The truth is, don't put the car behind me, so I'll ignore it. And I'll just make up my own mind. <coughs> my presumptions are, well, it's better for me if I do park it there, because it will make life easier. You know what this is? I know it's a poor illustration in what we're looking at, but if I just round it up with a description of what it is. And this is what it is. This is transgressing the limits of what is permitted or appropriate. Transgressing the limits of what is permitted or is appropriate. The Lord says to them, all you do is show contempt for my name. You're just thinking about yourself. And they say, I'll be shown contempt for your name. Well, God's going to tell them. See, Malachi knows what they're thinking. He knows what they will say. Their answer is full of arrogance. It's full of self-justification. They're still going to the temple, so we're all right. We still go to church. 
We're still going to the temple. We're still carrying out the temple duties. We still read the Bible and sing the hymns. You know, we still do all of that. And the people, and if this is the priests that are speaking, the people still see the priests as being their teachers, as being their spiritual leaders. So, with all those things, how can you say we're showing contempt for your name? Well, because they're not doing what God has told them to do. They're ignoring them. Blatant people. They're doing what they want to do, and they're doing that. And they're doing it the way they want to do it. And what they're doing, they are doing to their own benefit. Get that? But it's worse. It's worse than that. And this is the clincher that tells us just how wrong it is and how offensive it is to God. They're doing all these things in God's name and in God's house. And when he sees that, God says, all you do is show contempt for my name. Verse 7. You're taking my name in vain. This is what they are really doing. By offering defiled food, verse 7, on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? The answer is, by saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. Now, this reference to the Lord's table, it's not when we have the breaking bread. This is for these people. This is God's altar. The altar that was in the tabernacle that was then in the temple and it's the place where they would offer the sacrifice to God, where they would kill the sacrificial lamb. What should have been the perfect sacrificial lamb. We can go into real detail and see what they were doing. And the scripture tells us about that. Well, it's enough for us to know that this is what they're doing on God's altar. And by doing that, they are showing contempt for that place of sacrifice. The place of sacrifice was God's altar. And they were showing contempt. Why is it so important for the sacrifice they placed on the altar of God to be perfect? It's because of what it represents. The sacrifice was representative of the once and for all perfect sacrifice that Jesus made on Calvary's cross. How many people show contempt for the cross? How many people, both inside and outside of churches, show contempt for the cross? This is why John the Baptist described Jesus, when he saw, he said to his disciples, pointed to Jesus, he was going to tell them to follow him. Who did he say he was? He said, behold, the Lamb of God, the sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, the one that takes away the sins of the world. The next day John saw Jesus, that's John chapter 1, verse 29, coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Malachi chapter 1 verse 8, showing contempt for God's law. Now, if you want to know about God's law, read uh, Genesis, because Numbers and Deuteronomy, especially Leviticus, because Leviticus tells you all about 
how the sacrifices were to be made, why they were to be made in that way, where they were to be made, and when they were to be made. All the priests, the Levitical uh, tribe of Levi was set aside to be the priestly tribe. The people knew all these things. The Levites, the priests, knew all these things, and they had the responsibility to deliver them the way God has said they should. So they knew what they were supposed to do. Just like if I parked the car, I, I knew I wasn't supposed to put it there. Why? Because the big sign said, don't park here. You see? I, I, I couldn't plead ignorance. And they couldn't really plead ignorance. Because they knew what they were only going for in my shoes. They're saying, when you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? Of course it is, they know that. When you sacrifice lame and diseased animals, is that not wrong? Of course it is, and they know that. You know, in our own legal system, um, we have what is called contempt of court. Yeah? You'll see that on television programs. Someone will jump up and say, contempt of court? What happens? What happens when somebody does that? Well, this is a disobedience of the law and it's showing disrespect for the law and the result is that the person the perpetrator who does that will be removed from the court in the middle of a trial in the middle of a law court you stand up and say something that shouldn't be said you're in contempt of court and you're dragged out okay and maybe you get thrown in prison i don't know or maybe you get served a sentence this is contempt of God's court, the holy court in the temple. And God says to these people, okay, try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty, says the Lord Almighty, I'll provide. He's saying, you know, he's giving the comparison between the material and the spiritual ways in which these people are living. Now, just to clarify this little bit, if they approached a civil dignitary with a request, they wanted something, or they wanted to show him you know, some respect, they were expected to bring a gift. And God is saying, look, on those occasions, would you ever consider making the half-hearted approach with a second-rate gift? And the answer would be, no, <laughs> we wouldn't do that. Did I go before me? In the cream with the king now, in my jeans, without a tie. Would I do that? Now, I'm not saying you have to come to church. And you, <laughs> you come to church, that's just an example. You, know, you go to a, this, this is not about what you wear, it's about what's in here. You know, and they would have gone to the governor half-heartedly and well, yeah, this will do, you know. And God says, Do you think he accepts you? And they knew very well they wouldn't, so they would never ever do that. The result would be rejection. How dare they approach God in this way and expect to be accepted? How dare they? As I said, it's not about who you are, how you dress, you know, how intelligent you are or how stupid you are. <laughs> It's about here, the heart, the sincerity, giving God his rightful place. 
And these people were doing that. Verse 9 and 10, a call to repentance. This is part of the love that God has for them. Verse 9, now plead with God to be gracious, this is Malachi, to us, with such sufferings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty, all that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light unless you, so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. These are hard and harsh words from God. They don't get any harder. Except when you come to Revelation 1, verse 15 and 16. Listen to this. And this is in the New Testament. To the church at Laodicea, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold, but I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. That's what God was doing to these people because of what they were doing to him. And that same warning came to the church at the overseer in the book of Revelation. Now let's just, I just want to read through the next few verses, so 11 to 14, one or two comments. Despite their disobedience, God's will will be done. Okay? And it was done because Jesus came and Jesus died and we're sitting around here and we're discussing these things because God's will is done. And God's will is still to be completed because Jesus will return. So that's our responsibility. You know, these people coming to the promised land, now we have got the land which we are promised. This is what God says. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying, the Lord's table is defiled and its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at the contemptuously. You sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame and diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the chief who has an acceptable male in his flocks and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. So just to summarize, how do people today worship God, both in and outside the church? We directed ourselves, how do we worship God? How do we approach God? Is our approach to him acceptable by him. Does the world show contempt for God? The feeling that his word is worthless and beneath their consideration, I think the majority of people do. Does the world marginalize God? 
and treat his word as being so insignificant that it can be pushed to one side as being unacceptable to our way of living. So we tailor it to suit us and we then move it away from God's word. Can this be the attitude that is displayed in a lot of churches? It was in the days of Malachi. And in the book of Malachi, God is dealing with it. So there's great blessings there for us. <coughs> I'm going to leave it there. Um, what you can do is maybe just read um, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 to 14. And that starts with the law that these people were told to obey, and it was right that they should have obeyed it in their time. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. That is what we have in Christ. Not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices, repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Those sacrifices, if they came on God's altar in the temple, were necessary. They were part of God's plan. They were representative of the sacrifices that we would bring to the one who hung on the cross, the perfect sacrifice. And as Christians, we are to live by God's word. We are to share God's word. We are to learn God's word. We are to teach God's word. That's for us in our life. I'm going to just um, have a short prayers on finish here and then what we will do is um, if there's any questions anybody has or anything you want to share you can do that and then if somebody picks a hymn um, we'll sing a hymn and um, if you don't I think it might be hymn number 546 praise to the Lord but if anybody has another one <laughs> okay <laughs> Um, I just <coughs> Father we do thank you for your word and we just pray that we will be true to it as we gather in your presence as we bring you our praise and our worship and our Father we just pray that you would teach us your ways that we might teach them to others and so that others might see something of your love in our lives that will attract them not to us but to you as we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus Amen